Live from Sydney, this is General Ike, Building Jerusalem. Every so often, you bump into someone who happens to be wonderfully, keenly interested in the same uh, great nerdy thing that you are. I had uh, such an experience earlier today. I finally got to play another game of Diplomacy, uh, the board game by Alan Kalhammer. It's a really difficult game to play, uh, to set up because it needs uh, seven people who are committed to spend hours in a simulation of turn-of-the-century European diplomacy. Uh, it can be brutal, it can be vicious, it can be a slog, but it can also be a delightful game of strategy and uh, diplomacy. And I had the, um, the great honor of playing against a man who's been uh, into diplomacy for a lot longer than I have, uh, Philip Hynek, who in civilian life is a retired computer consultant in the field of business intelligence, He's been playing diplomacy since the 70s. Uh, he's read a lot of the same nerdy articles about diplomacy that I have. And um, it was uh, a real pleasure uh, to play against him today. Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, so I, I think like there are going to be a lot of people who don't really understand what diplomacy is and how it works. Uh, there's people like might be somewhat lost this episode. Um, but if, if you were to just explain a rough overview of the game, how how do you see it? Uh, fine. Thank you very much for allowing me to do that. Diplomacy is a game particularly for not nice people who can congregate and uh, do um, ever so awful things to each other. If you're an aficionado of Game of Thrones, you will know what I mean. Um, diplomacy is set with seven empires, empire countries, in the year 1900. Uh, the countries are England, France, Germany, Russia at the time, um, Turkey, Austro-Hungary and Italy. All countries are equally um, um, powered. Uh, there are two different types of units, armies and fleets, uh, armies can move on land sectors, the borders divided into sectors. Uh, fleets can move on the coast or in the sea sectors and additionally can convoy armies. The game has two offensives a year, the spring and the, depending on where you come from, autumn or fall offensive. <laughs> Um, and at the end of each year, after those two separate moves, um, and you get to move all your pieces, if you wish, each turn, you work out um, whether you are entitled to gain new pieces or whether you have to do away with, very sad, some of your existing pieces. The board is divided into empire countries and neutrals. And each empire country has what's called supply centres, normally three, and many, if not most, of the neutrals are 
supply centers. And at the end of each year, you determine how many supply centers you currently own. If you have more centers than units, you may be entitled to build. If you have now less centers than units, then you may have to disband one or other of your existing units. The way the game is played, and this is where the interest comes in, um, you go into corners and negotiate with the other six players of the board. When you do so, um, the intent is to try and convince the other players to act um, as much in your interests, if not more, than their own. <laughs> they, however, will be trying to do exactly the same thing. In your negotiations, you may say whatever you wish. Um, you could, should you wish, to tell them complete untruths or agree to what they say. But uh, when the time comes each turn, you need to write orders for your units. You could decide to write totally contrary things to that which you told people you may do. And this is, this is one of the um, really core mechanics for me of diplomacy and what makes it uh, so interesting and exciting is that there's very little in terms of actual complexity on the board. Uh, and like I invite people listening along to pull up a map of a diplomacy set if you're interested in following along for this one. They are available online. Lots of them online. But, but I, I'm interested in this, in this particular mechanic, which is the, the, the fighting itself isn't that complicated, but the, um, there's a long period of, of uh, discussion of individuals or groups, and then everyone submits their orders at the same time, and all the orders are resolved at once. So unlike most board games where it's this guy takes a turn, this guy takes a turn, this guy takes a turn, uh, you sort of have to try and predict if the person that you're hoping will support you into a country is likely to actually do that or is likely to um, leave you hanging and maybe hit you in the back. And you can't write conditional orders, such as, I'll do this unless he does that. Mm. Well, we understand. All right, let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. Um, the game we played today... Yes. What was your uh, what was your like take home, or how did it feel to you? The game we played today uh, was interesting. Uh, the um, it was a full set of seven, which is vastly superior to having any fewer. Doesn't work with any fewer. It's it really is game. not the same game. Um, it had people of different skill and experience levels in the game uh, that. Um, adds a degree of complexity. Yeah. Um, you obviously can't get into high-level negotiations as easily with somebody who barely understands the mechanics of the game. Um, it's a game that, as was said, is in principle exceedingly simple in terms of the rules, although there are some, but is infinitely potentially complex in the negotiation phase where you are merely limited by your imagination. So let's get specifics. Uh, in this game that we just played, you were France and I was Italy. Yes. And um, I'm still speaking to you. 
which is amazing. Um, but I, there's a, a thing that um, Richard Sharp says, and I think a lot of people say this, that there's a kind of Western triangle of France, England, Germany, and an Eastern triangle of Italy, Austria, Hungary, Russia, Turkey. And um, normally there's some sort of uh, kerfuffle in the Western triangle that's sort of contained in the West and something in the East that's sort of contained in the East before the violence spills over um, in other directions. And I found that, uh, you know, you, you and I met up and agreed to sort of not go dallying into each other's territory along the pretty, pretty silly border of Piedmont. Um, and that worked, that worked for a while. Um, but so what was, what was your first impression of, of the Western Triangle of you and Germany and England? Um, my understanding was that a lot of the others had played at least one game together. So in a sense, I was the odd one out. I may have been arguably one of the more experienced in the game in principle, but I was not familiar with any of the characters especially in terms of their... I only knew one of the characters, mm. and especially in terms of their diplomacy skills and experience. By characters, you mean players around players, the board? Players, sorry. Yeah. Players. Um, I would beg to differ slightly to say that whilst there are two, two triangles, one being the Western France, England, Germany, and the, I think the other one is often called the Rats, Russia... Austria, Hungary, Turkey, I see Italy as in the middle of the Mediterranean having to decide which triangle it involves itself with but isn't automatically in one or the other. Uh, I think that that is a challenge for Italy because it doesn't have a natural turf it has to decide which way it goes. The other disadvantage for Italy, and every country has pluses and minuses, is that if it decides to go east, it has to show a bare back door to the west. If it decides to go west, it shows a bare back door to the east. So um, uh, already it has its challenges. Very challenging. Um, and I, I think to play very well with an Italy in terms of success um, is a true accomplishment. Um, the game can also be described as the outer countries versus the inner countries. As in Russia and Turkey so and England and France. Again. They would be defined, I would argue, as the outer countries the inner countries, Austria, Hungary, Germany, and Italy, um, um, are slightly more surrounded than are the outer countries. Right. Um, which means that um, uh, they have to sort, they have to make sure that they don't start the game fighting each other in the center only to allow the people on the outside to pick and choose which one they'll beat up upon. Yeah. In the triangles, um, usually it's a matter in each triangle of, for example, between England, France and Germany, two of them usually forming either a close or a loose alliance against the third. 
and to, to wipe one out, the, the early game is not over till usually one of the countries in the triangle, normally, is eradicated. This takes quite some time. Um, in your initial assessment, this particular game, yes. when you were um, first chatting to Germany and England in the extra-long first round, uh, what was your read of the situation? Um, again, because um, I didn't know the people too well, I had not had much opportunity in that initial negotiation phase of speaking in much detail to either England or Germany. Um, Germany in this game, I suggest, was the least au fait with the rules. So um, he possibly was one of the more reticent players in the game, and I don't fully think he had a grasp. The tactics were sufficient already to add a degree of complexity such so that the strategy wouldn't have been so open to him. He would have had less experience of that level of the game. When you saw that, did you feel like that lent itself to a certain, to like make you more likely to ally with him or less likely? Um, sometimes in that circumstance, I have found it valuable to ally with somebody who was less experienced uh, so that you can... Um, help teach them the game, and um, if it should happen, uh, there's an advantage in having um, somebody who follows your advice, um, uh, even possibly to the extent, if you're lucky enough, of being a puppet for one. Um, uh, that didn't really occur in this game, uh, partially because that person was sort of fairly reticent in wanting to do anything in particular hmm. because of perhaps lack of understanding of the, of the um, uh, repercussions. Yeah. Um, my game with England, um, um, we um, initially spoke to one another in the short time we had available towards the very end of the negotiating period, and a bone of contention between France and England always is the English Channel. Neither country wants to see it occupied by the other. In this particular game, um, uh, we made the agreement that uh, we would not enter the English Channel and that uh, our neighbouring fleets would go elsewhere and that was kept to, that agreement. There was... After the first turn, uh, the country, the neutral Belgium, was open to England and um, I was prepared to allow England to gain Belgium, but with a fleet only. Therefore vacating the, the North Sea? Not so much for that reason, because I couldn't adva take advantage of that but um, rather that a fleet in Belgium has limited prospects against my country, France, yeah. whereas an army in Belgium 
can easily. keep going. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I have often said that uh, if you don't start out paranoid playing the game of diplomacy, you're just about guaranteed to end up that way. <laughs> um, your paranoia ended up uh, serving you well in some sense because there was a certain point where my, um, my side of the board was really suffering. Um, I, I'd sort of gotten to, I, got, I took Greece early, which was nice, but then it looked like I wasn't really making any more progress. Um, and it looked like uh, Russia and Turkey were, were coming together with an alliance, uh, the, the, the famous juggernaut, which is so feared by um, diplomacy players. Uh, and so like, I thought that since Russia and Turkey, when they get together like that, the only way to stop them is with everyone doing it. I sort of had Austria on side. Um, I sort of, and like Germany and England, I felt like they both had their, their bones to pick, let's say, with, with Russia, but you being France were right at the back. Um, and I previously played a game where I was Russia and I had a turkey helping me and we juggernauted, just swept the board. Um, and what we found was the resistance was really hampered by um, that, that uh, the fact that France doesn't have any borders with um, Russia or Turkey and um, just just like took the opportunity to pick up a lot of free territory in the backlands. So I thought, this game, we're not going to make that mistake. This game, what we're going to do is we're going to um, go try and knock France out really quick with a blitzkrieg uh, and then turn and fight off Russia and Turkey together. And that would be wonderful. Uh, but it really didn't work out that way. Um, if one feels a juggernaut which is a very powerful alliance of Russia and Turkey, is forming or has formed, then um, my comment on your approach to the strategy would be that it is necessary for anybody next to that juggernaut needs to work together with each other, such as Italy and Austria-Hungary, mm. to which would then make it two against two in that part of the world to um, um, ensure that the juggernaut doesn't start rolling. Once it starts rolling, it is almost impossible to stop. Yeah. Um, however, um, given that France had gone north against England and uh, it was, I'm sure, tempting to you, that I had an open back door. Um, the issue is that it allows Turkey unconstrained to control the Mediterranean and at its own time of choosing come after you. Um, that's It's difficult to go as Italy in one direction and with a hostile nation at its back, change direction and go in the completely other direction. Yeah. However, um, that's what occurred. Um, I did fight England in my defence. Um, I was not happy with England because England attempted to put an army in Belgium, as discussed earlier, and as, in my opinion, against our agreement. I went against England and eventually achieved the control of London, took London from England, but um, 
a certain Italian player who you have mentioned <laughs> um, got in, snuck in and took Spain from me. So um, I felt the need to have to come back and defend. Um, the problem I had was that England seemed to be getting Germany to support his unit in Holland or Bel Holland, I believe, possibly Belgium. Um, uh, and that was to my detriment. And um, uh, they spoke so often and for such a long period with each other that diplomacy-wise, which is the negotiation phase, I was not able to convince either that they shouldn't fight one another. This sadly helped Russia, when it was beginning to grow, to bring more units to bear on Scandinavia and eventually um, uh, affect Germany significantly. Um, the Unless Turkey can be convinced to cease its alliance with Russia or um, England to be prepared to act skillfully against Russia in the north, um, I couldn't see any way to have otherwise stopped particularly Russia from its expansion. Yeah. I, I, I saw that like in the early game when we were when when this first came up and I thought, okay, we're gonna be up against a juggernaut. Um, Turkey's vacated the black vacated the Black Sea for Constantinople, clearly trying to slip fleets out into the Mediterranean. Um, that's the giveaway for me. And I thought, I don't have enough to put up a strong resistance here. And even if I do, I'm just going to be meat fodder. Like, just slowly ground down here while um, the West just happens. Um, and I figured that if I just sailed West, I'd have a shot at, uh, at, at just wrapping it up quickly over here. I got a, a, a picture from that point of the game, like in, in brief for people who are uh, mapping it. You've got fleets in the Irish Sea and the English Channel, like viciously attacking England. Uh, you've landed a, a, an army in um, London and you have armies in Picardy and Burgundy. So all very well equipped to attack um, England, but your entire like lower side is completely exposed. There's no one in Marseille, there's no one in um, Spain, there's no one in uh, Portugal. Um, and then I, I have a convoy lined up to get my man out of Greece through Ionian, Tyrrhenian, and Western Mediterranean into Spain. Um, and I figured that since Germany had been sort of aggressive towards you and uh, England had been aggressive towards you, and that seemed to be how the Western Triangle was going, that if we all just came at you at once from every angle, that you wouldn't be able to defend, you'd buckle really quickly, and then we could swing around in time. Um, but what I didn't take into account was the fact that you're very familiar with like the tactical specifics of this game. Uh, and you just, you, there was a couple of times when I really thought, I've, I've, I've got him here, he's cornered, there's no way, uh, there's no way for him to defend himself. And you, you pulled it off, like again and again and again. So uh, kudos for you for that defense. Um, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to have been around the traps once or twice. Mm. Um, I will say that uh, Germany on the one hand and England on the other could well have made life more difficult for me and uh, uh, earlier on. Mm. Uh, Germany spent... Um, Germany's location of his units 
was less than ideal and he didn't wasn't able to maximise his influence on the game. Mm. Um, so um, I'd like to think it was all my good doing. I don't think it was. Well, um, I was fortunate to have a couple of um, not, not uh, what would you say, inexperienced allies in this regard who... Um, didn't go for the throat when the time came. But also I, I missed a couple of things. I missed the um, the fact that sometimes the best defense is a good offense and that there were cases where I thought, all right, I have enough men, we can take the spot, you can't stop me. But in fact, by just attacking outward with equal vigor to, I was attack- to what I was sending in, you um, you broke, you, you forced a stalemate at crucial moments and defended um, your, your, your stuff. Uh, yes, uh, uh, on one occasion I even convoyed my army in London back to France to help stiffen my defence. Um, uh, that's, that's true. Um, I will say that in this game, it is not too common that countries collapse very quickly. Mm. Um, even Austria-Hungary, which uh, uh, was being attacked by Turkey and Russia uh, ended up not being wiped out, which can happen, losing all home supply centres, until um, the twelfth turn, which was the end of 1906. So um, also the end of our game. That's what it was it. also the end of the game. But 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 what I'm saying is that it it for a country that was under such threat, it was interesting that it took six years to be wiped out. Yeah, and didn't happen earlier, given the disadvantage, disadvantageous position he was in, um, uh, and 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 as I say, Austria-Hungary was being attacked from all sides, whereas um, uh, I was being attacked from only one side, uh, albeit with an open back door. So those sorts of things. Um, um, I think people don't realise also how long it takes to set your pieces into position in order to move from one side to the other to be of some offensive use. Um, uh, As I say, it's always a vulnerability to move away from somebody else. And um, with Turkey hiding in the background um, and being able to follow up your move towards the west... Um, meant that um, at the end of the game he was able to do an awful lot of harm behind your lines. Yeah, it was terrible. I, I, I mean, like, I knew when I sent my, my fleets west that it was a gamble, um, and basically if, if, I could, if I couldn't stitch up France before Turkey really started bringing his ships out, then it was, it was all over. Um, and it turns out I couldn't. Um, but uh, I, was, I, I think I sort of ended up in an alliance with Austria-Hungary from the start, which didn't necessarily serve me and actually it was what ended up forcing Turkey and Russia into their alliance which is um, <laughs> kind of silly in retrospect I uh, should have seen that coming but I did not you do you remember any um, uh, like the, the, the book Richard Sharp's The Game of Diplomacy yes. do you remember when you first read that book actually not till quite some time after um, I had been playing Diplomacy so um uh, the interesting thing about Sharp's book uh, was that um, it was the first time anybody had 
looked in depth at a consistent approach to naming openings like chess diplomacy has openings mm. and in diplomacy openings depend on which countries you um, wish to counteract um, first um, and um, so Richard Sharp created um, a sophisticated definition of opening strategies he certainly it's certainly not complete um, and in some odd ways I'd take um, differences with some of his views as to which openings are better than which others um, uh, that's the beauty of diplomacy you can always have differences of points of view yeah um, on the net now there are so many articles on opening theory for country X or country Y um, and different alliances that may or may not be good for particular countries that um, uh, there is enormous amount to choose from, even though some countries don't have an awful lot of choices. Some countries have more choices than others, um, which is good and bad. Um, one of the interesting uh, things, for example, for your opening as Italy, is that in the game, the neutral supply centres are usually got or um, conquered first. And some the countries have natural neutrals and a natural neutral for Tunis, uh, sorry, for Italy, is Tunis on the edge of North Africa. Hmm. Um, it so happened in this game, however that um, Austria-Hungary assisted your taking of Greece in the first year, which may or may not be seen by Turkey as being one of his natural uh, free supply centres. And it was only at the end of the second year that you ended up taking Tunis. Um, in terms of tempo, as in chess it could be suggested that you're going east and then south west and then it turned out you uh, thereafter immediately thereafter went south east again mm. uh, before ending up deciding because of my open back door to go far west um, the problem with in the game is that Tempo, like in chess, is everything, and moving in different directions um, one after the other um, takes up time. And the time you're setting yourself up to be in a position to do something useful is time that you're not going further in the original direction you might have gone. Right. Yeah, I, I saw that as well. I, I figured that um, what I found in the past is, well, this is something Sharp says, it Italy is the uh, country most likely to, to um, never progress past four territories the whole game. Uh, and I think, like, I, I tend to favour the Greece opening because um, opening to Tunis basically leaves Greece open to either Turkey or Austria, and then there's very little dynamism after that uh, for Italy. There's very little that um, Italy can do that's, that to, to get the next one along. Whereas I figure if I can get Greece, I know that I'm definitely going to get Tunis next turn because it's... No one's anywhere near it. 
You are, but whilst you're on the way to take Tunis, it may well be the case that Turkey, not being too happy with having lost what he thought might or should be his, Mm. uh, may be working hard on trying to set himself up to push you out of Greece um, whilst you're going to take Tunis. So it's having taken it doesn't mean you get to keep it. Yeah. Yeah, I really learned that the hard way this game. Um, The other thing I might suggest is I I quite agree. I think Italy, and on the statistics, Italy by far is the country that least wins. Yeah. To win in the game, you, as you know, uh, need one more than half the number of supply centres, which happens to be you need 18 out of 34. That is not an easy ask. No. And games rarely play all the way through. Having said that, Italy has won um, historically on the records, on the statistics, far fewer than anybody else. Why? Because it's a hard country to play and play well. And it's usually, as I say, caught between the vices of Austria-Hungary on the one hand and France on the other. Um, uh, Quite some years ago, um, I think it was Eddie Bursan, an American strategist of the game, um, uh, invented a set of moves which allowed Italy to look past either attack Austria-Hungary or attack France. And that was called the Lepanto, which was a uh, naval battle way back in ancient history where um, a coordinated attack from Austria-Hungary and Italy allowed Italy to move its fleets Um, uh, as quickly as possible uh, down so that it would get an army, convoy and army into the back door, into Syria, the back door of Turkey. Turkey's a hard nut to crack, but if you can get behind his lines, you stand a much better chance. Yeah. That is an option and had been used sometimes to great success. It's a very great challenge to play Italy well. Uh, There is no... There's no insult in not having done brilliantly and come first as Italy. Um, but um, um, uh, it requires considerable discipline and not, uh, not to lose tempo, in other words, to make the most of the time that you have available. Um, Turkey is a slow country to grow, but when it starts growing, especially if Russia is its friend, Mm. then um, Italy had better watch out. The Mediterranean could and did become an Italian, sorry, a Turkish lake. Um, So um, it's it's difficult. It is a very great difficulty to play well as uh, Italy. I'll also add to that difficulty by talking about one of the most unfortunate map anomalies in the game. Uh, There is, in the border between Italy and Austria-Hungary, two supply centres, one of each, one for each, which neighbour one another. This is the only example in the game where two initially enemy supply centres 
our borders, our neighbours. So, for instance, if like Russia, if uh, Germany wants to take Paris, they have to move from Munich to Burgundy, which isn't a supply centre, before they can move to Paris. So you have a warning. Yeah. That the, they're coming. The one place there's no warning is Trias Venice. Which means that both Italy and Austria-Hungary constantly spend the first portion of the game, if not longer, looking over their shoulder at their at the other person who may or may not be a nominal ally. Yeah. But for how long? So it takes a lot of trust for those two countries to work together. And yet, if Russia and Turkey are getting together, it is insane, in my opinion, for Austria, Hungary and Italy to squabble. Yeah. For sure. Um, I, I found I found in my in my game is that if if you can get that Venice Trias border calm, which is very difficult, then it's it's really nice to play as a as a an Italy Austria pair against Turkey. Yes, but it's 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 such an ask. <clears throat> do you um do you have any? Uh, this is like the the big the big thing that um, people say about diplomacy that it costs friendships. Do you have any like particularly c- catastrophic games that you recall with either fondness or horror or a combination? Um. One of my favourite memories is of playing in a game Austria-Hungary. Austria-Hungary is surrounded by Turkey on the one side, Russia, Germany, although that's not where an initial attack usually comes from, and Italy. Um, And to the southeast of Austria-Hungary are the Balkans, five centres, neutrals, that all the neighbours look at because four of those five centres are supply centres. So that is always the source of the initial squabbles. As Austria-Hungary, I got the impression at the very beginning of that game that things weren't going to go well for me because on the first move or even before the first move, I noticed that all my neighbours were gathered together, (laughs) excluding me. Again, I'm not paranoid, not really. Um, And after the first turn, I found that all of them went for me. So all of them meaning um, Russia and Turkey, but also Germany and Italy? Germany and Italy. Um, This does not bode well for a long game for yours truly. Yeah. I am proud of that game. I started with three units because I immediately set to work talking separately to Turkey and to Russia, convincing each that the other was going for them, so they did. That was two off my back. I spoke to France and England that if Germany was going for me, those lovely German supply centres and the open back door surely looked inviting to them. Um, They didn't disagree with my assessment. I spent the whole game fighting my then wife who was playing Italy (laughs) uh, and ended the game on an ignominious four, however, that's one up from my start position. And given my initial sour uh, fortune, felt that a finishing the game on four after such a beginning 
was something I could be proud of. Sounds it. Sounds very much like it. I I, I got a particular um, uh, comic thrill from um, this game where England finally completed the reconquest of England at the very end of the game and managed to complete it as he started. I think every piece was in its starting position. Uh, So that was quite a few hours of seemingly wasted irrelevancy for him. Yeah, no doubt it'll be um, written down in the songs as a as a, as a great defense of the homeland. But you, but it survived and and um, uh, lives to play another game. More than more than I can say for myself this this past game. Do you feel that um, the English Channel naturally tends to go one way or the other to England or France? The English Channel is a historically and di- diplomacy wise often fought over stretch of water and is the source for much anxiety between France and England. Mm. And I don't have any particular feel that naturally it's like more likely to be with one than necessarily the other. Um, uh, the uh, initial diplomacy should always be between those two countries to at the least neutralise it and come to some agreement about it because both are threatened if the other takes that piece of sea yeah i feel like i I feel like i've successfully argued in the past that as england that the channel is naturally english i mean even says english right on the board Um, but also i think like you can if you can convince the um the french player that he shouldn't be too worried about it there's a there's a sort of um there's a natural like what this piece is doing the the fleet in Brest yeah the fleet in Brest really wants to go to mid atlantic and pick up spain and portugal um whereas this the 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 fleet configuration of england really just lends itself to um i i would say very naturally the english channel north sea like norwegian sea north sea ends up getting into fights that probably aren't that helpful however if if the fleet without agreement if the fleet in Brest moves to the mid atlantic with the intention of taking either Spain or Portugal in the fall and allows England into the English Channel, then the English fleet in the English Channel threatens Brest, which is a home French supply centre, and also has an influence on Belgium. Belgium, as a neutral, is looked upon covetously by Germany and France as well as England. Mm. So um, um, if I were France, I have no preference, uh, no willingness to see England in the English Channel. I will also take criticism with your comment. The English Channel is the English name of that piece of territory. I believe, I can't quite remember what the French name is, but it's categorically not the French version of English Channel. Right. I, I noticed that um, at the same phenomenon um, when I was in Israel, I went to a lot to go snorkeling mm-hmm. and um, there's a gulf and I thought, oh, what's this, what's this gulf called? Well, it's got a lot on one side and it's got the Jordanian city of Aqaba on the other and you can see them from, from each city from the other. So, of course, uh, the Israelis call it the Gulf of Eilat and the Jordanians call it the Gulf of Aqaba. <laughs> um, and as far yes. as I can tell, there's... There isn't, there isn't a definitive ruling about what it's called. It's just... I don't even know what the international name for that stretch of water is, interestingly enough. I don't know that there is. And I wouldn't be surprised if we end up getting a, a, um, an international incident over it at some point. 
but it's uh, be that as it may. The English almost Channel, true to say every piece of territory has at one time or another had an international incident. I suppose so. As, yeah, by definition. I mean, like uh, something really explosive. Do you have? Um, God forbid, protect us. Do you have a, a favorite country to play in diplomacy? No. Uh, the reason I don't have a favorite country is because um, I see the game as one where each country has a chance to win. Some countries may be a greater challenge to win with. Um, I think, as I said earlier, that uh, in, in, the, in the talk of the fandom, um, England and Turkey can be seen as the Wicked Witch of the North versus the Wicked Witch of the South. Um, the reason for that description is that um, both tend to be sort of corner countries and England, uh, being an island, has the advantage that its enemies need to build fleets in order to attempt to come and conquer the mainland, the, yeah. the, the, the territory. Um, Turkey is a funny mess because it's got water, a bit of water to the north in the, Bal in the Black Sea, I should say. It's got various seas to its east. Uh, it's got a land border between Armenia and Sevastopol. So anybody attacking Turkey, if they came via the Balkans... It's an almost impossible direct route. You need to come from a multiplicity of sides, yeah. which means that unless Turkey is out of position, um, um, you need multiple countries to wipe out Turkey. Um, Russia also has a strong position being the in between the two witches. But that is not necessarily always a bad thing. It could be but it also means it's got a lot of flexibility. Lots of flexibility. I was really thinking about that today because I know that Russia has, uh, I think, the highest win rate. Yes. And it starts off with an extra unit compared to everyone else. Yes. What's, what's the balancing factor there? Like, okay. I would argue that whilst Russia has an extra unit, it has more borders to defend. Hmm. And it has a unit, a fleet way down south in Sevastopol. It has a fleet way up north in St. Petersburg. And for those two fleets to work in coordination together would take forever to get together. Sure. So, yes, it's got an extra unit, but it's got more borders to defend. Yeah. Um, many in, Russia is a do-or-die do country in my experience. It either does very well or because people know of its flexibility, they decide early on to rid themselves of the Russian bear, the Russian steamroller, as it sometimes becomes. <laughs> and there are games where Turkey and Austria-Hungary and England and, in fact, possibly Germany even, decide to get together and say, we're not going to stand a Russia behind all of us. We'll get rid of that first and then we'll get on with the rest of the game. That, if that happens, can make mincemeat of the Russian bear. So Russia's interests are always in making sure that doesn't happen. 
has diplomacy always been a a um, what would you say a divertisement or a fun a fun uh, side activity for you, or do you feel like you've uh, gained important life skills of it? Um, I should first out start saying that things that takes that people in real life value, trust, honesty, uh, following through with what you said you'd do, um, not blackmailing your neighbour. <laughs> these are thoroughly unacceptable um, uh, uh, and uh, virtues and rather are vices when you play the game of diplomacy. Um, so in some ways, diplomacy could teach you all the wrong things. What it can teach you is to understand different people's interests and take them into account in the way you attempt to negotiate with your fellow players. Clearly, unless the person is a nong, getting them to commit hurry curry in your favour um, is probably not going to earn you great love from your um, from that neighbour. Um, you have to be reasonable, in my opinion, in what you're expecting the other player to do. And the other player is more likely than not, not always, but more likely than not, to want to act in their own interests. If you can convince them what their interests are, mm. so much the better. So um, a good diplomat needs to be able to understand where his interlocutor, the person he's speaking with, is coming from. Is the person he's coming from, uh, he's speaking to, wants to win no matter what? Then you play the person in a certain way. Is the person perhaps very happy to be a strong second mm -hmm. and wouldn't mind that you come first? Mm. They can be very useful to find such people. Is the person um, uh, um, who will act not in their own interests and randomly, in which case, be very afraid? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like so much of the game hinges on, like, these occasional acts of irrationality which, which put a um, throw a wrench in the system. Like, people... People, people honoring their agreements, you know, you can account for it and plan for it. And people not honoring their agreements, you can account for it and plan for it. But people doing just ridiculous things is so hard. Or to... randomly following agreements and then randomly not. Yeah. <laughs> Very difficult. Very difficult. Um, there are many different ways to aims to play. Um, theoretically, we should all be trying to come first. Yeah. Theoretically. But if you're not doing so well, your aim may to be to survive. And you may say to yourself, and why not, I survived the game despite enormous um, um, uh, things against me surviving. So given that I've survived, I can pat myself on the back and be proud of the game I play. Yeah. Alternatively, you might be such a player that says, look, I'm going to go for a win and I'll probably either win or get wiped out uh, in my actions, in the way I play. And there's nothing wrong inherently in playing that way either. What's important in the game is to try and understand, that's one of the difficulties, 
what type of a player are you speaking to? If you're speaking to one who only wants to win, then promising them a bit of help to allow them to come second is probably not going to impress them. Mm. Um, uh, Mind you, um, if they'll do anything to win, then um, offering them open supply centres of your own is probably also an invitation that they can't refuse. Yeah. Um, It really is um, reading people, which is not easy, and we all get that sometimes right and often wrong, but a good diplomacy player will get that more right than wrong, and that is the judgment calls that you need to be able to make in order to assess what's going on around the table. A bad diplomacy player will only talk to his immediate neighbours. A good diplomacy player, I wish I were one, uh, will see every place on the board, even if it's nowhere near me, has an influence on the game. Mm. They might be able to let me know what's going on a different part of the board where my pieces have no influence. And knowledge is, um, is all. Um, he who knows the most about what's happening can, is more likely to be able to influence what's happening. If you have no idea what's happening in various parts of the board, then you're playing, you're treating it as a game of luck. You're not influencing the game to the maximum amount to your benefit. Um, so uh, I think one can learn a lot about judging people. Hopefully in real life, um, they're not about to stick a, a, a stick a knife in your back and especially not plenty of others likely to stick a knife in your back. But, but in the sense of understanding where people are coming from, that, I think, is a life lesson that we use in our day-to-day negotiations with partners, family, uh, work colleagues, etc., etc. Um, it's not as hopefully uh, <laughs> rough and ready, uh, but um, I think it does teach us to understand what are other people's motivations. What is it that you're, the person you're speaking with is playing for? Um, if you can, if you can give them something that they regard as an achievement, then you're far more likely to influence them to do things that are not to your disadvantage than if you're offering them something that is of no interest to them, or even riles them up. <laughs> you know, the fact that you're even thinking of giving that to me. Really, that's outrageous. I'm offended by the very exactly. idea. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it happens. Did you have you uh, been on the receiving end of that sort of thing? Have you received an offer in a game that's like so insulting that you're like, this guy has to go down next? Um, I always find ironic when, as it sometimes happens, somebody says to me, "Look, I've stabbed you in this game, but if you do this for me now." I'll be friends with you next game. Um, that doesn't necessarily ha. go down wonderfully. <laughs> Has it ever gone down well with you? Uh, uh, if I've been done in with a sophisticated mechanism that has been less personally painful than it might have been, I might consider that offer. Uh, if the person has... Um, um, 
just broken agreement after agreement after agreement, I might be less uh, willing to be of assistance to them in this game. For sure. For sure. Do, is there a, a moment for you where someone got the best of you in this game but with such majesty that you were just like, whoa, have to respect Oh, that. yes. I've, 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 I've listened to an argument from some people sometimes which has been very well put and very well structured only to find out that I've been set up and taken in, but well taken in, um, and I credit people who have formulated the board, the p- other people playing, in a way to maximise the benefit for them and um, been taken in. Um, um, uh, that is playing the game well. If you don't want to be beaten up, don't play diplomacy. Mm. You're, if you only get satisfaction about being the top winner, in chess, it's one against one. In this game, it's six against one. So if a game is only enjoyable if you win, your chances of doing that at diplomacy are not extremely high. Yeah. Um, so enjoy losing or you won't like playing diplomacy typically. Um, if you know what I mean. There was one game I used to play against a person who we were both the most experienced and would end up leading opposing alliances. Yeah, I hear it. Uh, In one of these games, just to show you how possibly serious it can get, it was played at the then fiancé, now wife, of that other person. They only ever played with one board, which is slightly disadvantageous, because we would have to take it in turns to go see the board to be able to negotiate with the people. Mm. And when we went into the one main lounge room where the board was set up, one of our players noticed that in a stereo system, a tape recorder had been set on so that when the other group came in, they would be able to hear what we had been discussing. You may think that's not very nice. Classic diplomacy. Wait for it. That That stereo was meant to be found. The one stuck under the table itself was not meant to be found, but it so happened, fortunately for us, that we had done a thorough search. Needless to say, the moves that we enunciated so that it could be heard, we ended up not doing, but rather set up the other side. Um, I remember with this particular person, as I said, we used to lead opposing alliances. Um, he used to enjoy getting first timers, ally with them, become a close confederate, and he would end up stabbing first timers in the back. So it was necessary for him to always need a new lot of first-timers, because <laughs> they would remember that otherwise the next time. There was an occasion when 
I think he was England and I was France, we made the usual agreement that neither of us move into the English Channel on the first turn, a common agreement. Uh, when the first turn orders were read out, curiously enough, both of us attempted to move into the English Channel. Um, I didn't trust him, he didn't trust me, but he called me a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> so the game has um, uh, many amusing uh, parts to it, and um, um, uh, as long as one plays strongly, as strongly as one can, but doesn't take the results too seriously, I have been in a situation where um, uh, two partners played and one partner was irate when the other partner uh, stabbed them in the back. The reality is that outside relationships ought have no impact within the game because otherwise that would give an advantage, an unfair advantage to people who were, had a close relationship. Mm. If you can't and don't play ignoring external relationships, then really that couple ought not to be playing in the same game. It would be unfair to the others. For sure. Wow, yeah, it's an interesting way of putting it. Like it has to be, you have to be able to detach in order to play this game well, I suppose. And, and what one should never do is before the actual game itself, ring up or speak to one of the other players and prior to the game, agree to a lifelong game alliance because, again, what you say during the game is one thing. What you arrange prior to and outside the game is another. There seems to be an understanding amongst diplomacy players that as soon as the game begins, it's all bets are off and everyone understands that everyone's going to be lied to and that's fine and that's part that's of the game. That's how it should be. Have you ever seen someone play the game honestly and win? That depends on your definition of honestly. Okay. A good diplomacy player probably won't categorically and outright lie. A good diplomacy player um, or the best diplomacy players. What they do is leave themselves an out. What they do is make sure that they are not committing themselves to never, ever fighting you because who knows in which direction the game may go. And are you going to sit there doing nothing because I promised to everybody around me I wouldn't go for them? Pretty boring. Um, so a good diplomacy player will arrange such things that there are sunset clauses. I won't attack you in the first year for example, right? But unless you attack me, right, sort of thing. Um, a good diplomacy player will, um, I mean, you've got to, nobody knows the way in which the game will certainly go. You may have, an indica you may have a thought about how you'd like it to go, but um, you only control for sure your country. You can't be for sure knowledge, knowledgeable about what the others will do. Um, so, as I say, um, if you say that you will never stab anybody, well, it's probably diplomacy is not the game for you. But, 
but because the game is a game of backstabbing to to whatever degree. Yeah, I think I've really lost my appetite for that that aspect of it. I kind of played a I played the last couple of games I played um, very honestly. And one honestly, of the, you honestly. attacked me. <laughs> well, you know, I did. I did. I did formally declare war on you before I attacked you. No, you did. Well, you did formally declare war uh, <laughs> once you were at my gate. So I do remember that. Yeah, I sat down. We that's had a right. nice talk. That bullet that's going over your head that came from my side. Just want you to know. But I, I found that the last one, so this one, it, it did not come together at all. The, I, but I was playing Italy this game and the last game I played. Right. And the last game I played was online. And when I found that when I had enough time to really send letters back and forth and really discuss things in detail and re, uh, really talk to everyone about it, then I could, um, I, I was just, I did, I don't think I ever lied to anyone the whole game. Right. Um, and I, and I managed to just, um, uh, come like I think that the game it, someone eventually dropped out like right. towards the end, um, but Which I was changes like, it. Yeah, well, I, I think like someone dropped out and someone else was like, oh, I don't want to play anymore, and yeah. then they just called it. It's there. a different game then, right? I was doing very very well, right. and the, the way it worked was I was just always saying to everyone that I'll protect you against everyone else so long as everyone else you know abides by the the, the um, right the sort of terms of the treaty. Yep, and um, inevitably someone doesn't. Right. And inevitably, you get to walk in and and help out, as it were. Yep. Um, but that did that that sort of I, maybe it's uh, the the difficulty of playing with um, in person, or maybe it just doesn't. You know, that's the, that's the sort um, of gambit that doesn't. One of the disadvantages work. of playing in person, and there are advantages, mm. is that you get to see who's talking with whom. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I found that England and Germany were talking a lot together. Um, this did not bode well for me, I felt. Um, uh, uh, Never that's a good fine. Sign for a friend. Um, if you play uh, online, or in the old days, postal diplomacy, post, that's mail, letters, people don't know that anymore. Um, post? Yes. What are you uh, what's about? an envelope? Um, uh, but if you play online and the games are a week or so, whatever it is, apart each turn, then you have plenty of time to have multiple communication to people. And the degree of sophistication of the strategizing ought to be better. Yeah. Because you've got much more time to do it. One would the Excuse me, the downside is that the letter, sorry, the email you sent to somebody, what's to stop them forwarding it on to somebody else? Um, some people regard that as not the right thing to do. But it happens, yeah. and it's definitely done. It's then harder for you to turn around and say, well, that didn't come from me. Although, having said that, there's nothing to stop people concocting an email which didn't come from you but purports to. Oh, terrible so, so the So the amount of skullduggery becomes even greater, um, if possible. I haven't played by uh, online. I'm sure it would be... A great deal of fun, um, uh, but a game could last. I've heard six to twelve months at a turn every two weeks or whatever it is. I don't yeah. know. Um, uh, um, 
I'm not sure I answered your last question well or not. No, that was, uh, that was, was, that was, was the um, It was just the about the, of the possibility of um, getting, of, of winning honestly. Oh, honestly. Um, so far as, uh, so far as you're not, so far as you, you bend the truth but don't break it, you're doing well. But if yes. you're telling all the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, this probably isn't the game for you. Um, it's very difficult not to stab someone. Hmm. Now, you can say that I never agreed that I wouldn't stab you. Um, um, uh, uh, but if the other person is negotiating well, then there ought to be agreements on which on which bits of the map you don't want the other person to go and vice versa. And usually that's where the attack from the other person will come from. Um, so if you nail down those things, then it's hard for that person to honestly go against you. Right. Um, again, it comes down to how well you nail down the... Um, any agreements and what is explicitly said. Sometimes we hear what we think we want to hear, but it wasn't what the person said. Philip, it's been an amazing time, uh, but we're, we're out of time here, friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. The pleasure was all mine, and can I have Spain back, please? <laughs> Uh, um, I, I mean this in the most literal, in the most in-game literal sense, over my dead body. <laughs> I thought you were going to say over my dead body. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I think you, you, you demonstrated very well uh, the tactical mastery required to take it back by force. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure doing business with you. This is General Ike, Building Jerusalem.